Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Uh, I think I think the most I knew about the organization was, uh, what's that movie? With, Draft Day, yeah. If all you know about the Browns is the movie Draft Day, why in the world did you show up? Look at that. Look at there he oh, is. Yeah. All right. Enough of that. Wow. I had no idea oh we my had gosh. that. Let's get Look out of here. Look at that. That is great. Hey, wait, man. You got your own IMBD page or whatever the hell they're called? You wow. know what? It's a good thing I'm not in studio because I would go straight to the control room and kick someone's ass right now. It's a Monday edition of PFT Live, and I don't, I don't get it. All right, there we go. All right, that's the last time that's ever going to be run. Well done, EJ. Put it together in the back. If that ever runs again, I'm unplugging and I'm walking away. I've seen that enough times, and I thought I made that clear previously. Let's make it clear and awkward. Tom, Tom's like, what did I agree to do this today? Here he is, our good friend. Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston, not the famous cricketer Tom Curran. I don't want anyone in the UK in the event, in the event mm-hmm. that they actually run the show today on Sky Sports, because one thing I've learned is I never know what day they're going to run the show and what day they're not. And I've got a group of fans over there, and they're actually fans of the show for some reason, who will keep me apprised every day as to whether or not the show runs or doesn't run on Sky Sports, no matter how many times I tell them I don't care if it runs on Sky or not. If it does run today, Tom Curran is not the famous cricketer. He is correspondent extraordinaire, covers the Patriots like no one else, NBC Sports Boston, host of Quick Slants. Is that the name of the show, Quick Slants? Is that still a thing? Yeah, Yeah, it is. Quick Slants? Is that the name? Is that the name of your little program? Is that the name of it? Is it really? Yes, it is. is. Okay. All right. I just I, I I was making a little leap of faith there. Well, it's abundantly clear to me based upon our exchanges last night via text message. You don't watch this show, so I don't need to act like I watch yours because you clearly don't watch this. So we're even. There was one mishap, a tiny misstep in a conversation about a draft segment, which we will do and execute later that people can really look forward to that I was you know, caught flat-footed, and Florio escalates it to, well, maybe if you watch the show once in a while, you'd understand the... That's not how I said it. That's not how I said it. I said it's obvious you don't watch the show, because you had no idea what we were talking about. And as I told you, I don't have have cable. Well, we're not on cable. Do you have high-speed internet? No, it's a lie. I have have so much cable. I have have so much cable. You Um, don't need cable anymore. I don't watch the show. Do you watch Quick Slants? No, I don't have cable. Yeah. It's not on my. It's not on my. My selection of of uh, available channels here in West Virginia. Why do you think we would have NBC Sports Boston here in West Virginia? Seems like something you want to stream, Mike. 
Uh, hi to everybody out there in, in Europe, hi. London, Sky Sports. It's not Tom Curran, the cricketer, but I'll do well a wicked googly. Yeah, thanks. Well done. He's with me today because Chris is working Friday of this week. This is one of the rare weeks that he can work on Friday, so he couldn't do Monday because he can't Fair. do more than four days in a week. Couldn't do five days this week. Too much to too much to talk about football. Well, I know he has his podcast too, but we don't we don't want to overload him this week. And I, I'm, just, I'm just I love Chris. I'm just having some fun. I don't have any problem mm-hmm. with Chris not being here because I have Tom Curran instead for two hours. It's three days until the draft, by the way. What's your excitement level for this draft on a scale of absolutely no excitement whatsoever to I have goosebumps? Six and a half to seven and a half. Um, it's so you know, it doesn't have the splashy quarterback. It doesn't have a top 10 that's chock full of players who are going to be seismic difference makers. You have edge players and cornerbacks who are loading up and offensive linemen who are loading up the top 10 and maybe the top 20. So it's not like they're flash positions, but you have wide receivers. There's no quarterbacks, but there's just an absolute glut of wide receivers. And as we will talk about Wide receivers dominate the league in 2022 and all conversations around it. So that's going to be fascinating. So I'm going to make a seven because also, Michael, this is something else we'll get to, is the Jimmy Garoppolo conversation, the Baker Mayfield conversation. Those dominoes are going to fall during this week, maybe even on Thursday day. I don't think it would happen during the draft, but on Thursday day, which is going to shake up what happens really in the first round of a draft that is loaded from – from my understanding, from 15 to about 50 with players of similar skill set and a high skill set. And it could happen actually during the draft, especially as teams that may be targeting quarterbacks don't get the quarterbacks they would like to acquire via the draft. That becomes then the fallback, make a trade for Baker Mayfield, make a trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, if there is a trade to be had, but we'll be talking about that. I've noticed that the NFL is leaning heavily into the idea that there's a mystery that is baked into round one. Mm -hmm. If you've got no big names to market, if there's no Johnny Manziel, if there's no Baker Mayfield, if there's no sizzle, then, okay, hey, nobody knows what the hell is going to happen. Let's make that our top conversation starter for this year's draft. And I give them credit for coming up with something. It's a lot better than saying there's really nothing all that sexy about this draft. But the reality is there really isn't anything all that sexy about this draft. There are some unknowns, Mm -hmm. but there's always unknowns. And the one thing that I come back to, and you won't hear this on many shows this week because I haven't gotten the official memo yet. There is an official memo that goes out that says, don't tip the picks. And I go Mm -hmm. along with that because the audience doesn't want the tips to be picked. They want that moment of drama while the commissioner walks out to the podium, gets booed and then announces the pick. So I don't, I don't want to disrupt that. I, it's not that I'm going along with the league's wishes. You're a team player. I act like it's the one time per year I go along with the league's wishes, although if I thought the audience wanted the tips to be picked or the picks to be tipped, as the case may be easy for him to say, I would go ahead and tip the picks. It's what the audience wants that drives me. That said, I think the NFL also wants everybody who's connected to the presentation of the sport to sing Everything is Awesome all week long and and get behind the idea that every player that gets selected on Thursday night is on track to be a Hall of Famer when we know mm-hmm. that 50-50, guy's going to be good or guy's going to be not good. You never hear that this week. This is all about every guy who's picked has the potential, if not likelihood, to be a great player, and we'll worry about whether or not it actually pans out three years from now. Now's not the time to point out the obvious that draft history is littered especially in round one, with a pass-fail rate that is basically a coin flip. Yeah, especially when you get past really 10. And some teams, they're just doomed to flounder and to just you know be in the deep end of the pool with, with no swimmies. And that's why I find a team like you know the New York Jets, the, the desperate teams – the Carolina Panthers to, a, to an extent right now, even though Fitterer is a, a little newer, but Matt Rule is someone we'll talk about later on. And he's a coach who's probably, you know, in a win now situation. So there's always that entanglement that a player, a good player can find himself dropped into 
And then he has to try and sink or swim based upon the situation that he ended up parachuting into. I mean, wherever the commanders are under Ron Rivera, which seems to be in a better spot than it had previously been, I still don't think I'd want to go to Washington. I don't think that's a place that I want to be drafted to. Chase Young is turning into a star in the league. But again, I don't think that the Washington is a place where you'd like to be as opposed to wherever, San Francisco, the Rams, the Patriots, any number of other teams, Kansas City. So I do find it interesting, though, Mike, when you talk about the um, the intrigue surrounding the draft, that they're playing along down in Jacksonville and mentioning that, yeah, we <laughs> we could take one of any four guys up there at the top. We have no idea exactly which guy it's going to be. So tune in Thursday. Yeah, and, you know, they're not even really trying to create a sense that someone could or should trade up. They, I, I don't think they can find anyone to trade up. I think there's enough right. of – there's really no one that anyone just has to have. Now, we may find out, to our surprise on Thursday, that someone decides they've fallen in love with someone and they need to jump up. But the Jaguars, the idea that they've got – four guys they're looking at. I think that is real. I think they are being transparent. And I've been hearing an increasing buzz that of those four guys who are believed to be Aiden Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker, Iki Aquanu, and Evan Neal, the first two pass rushers, the last two tackles. It could be Evan Neal. I wrote something about that today. And if it's Evan Neal, I'll tell you what, if you're inclined to go out there and make a wager on who the first pick is going to be, you can get 25 to 1 odds at FanDuel. Really? 20 to 1 at points bet. 25 to 1 at FanDuel if you're thinking about putting a little a little scratch on Evan Neal. Those odds may change. 10 units, 10 units will bring you 250 units right there. That that that's a lot that's a lot of money for nothing if you can get it and I, all, all I'm saying is there's some buzz that it could be Evan Neal, that Doug Peterson wants to protect Trevor Lawrence. Yes, they have their tackles in place. You could drop in Evan Neal at guard across from Brandon Scherf and then slide him out to tackle next year when Cam Robinson is gone. It's a safer pick. Peterson talked about that last week. You need somebody who can come in and play right away. Well, you put Evan Neal in at guard, he's going to start for you right away, and he's going to help you at a critical position of keeping your starting quarterback in one piece. So something to keep an eye on as the week unfolds. You made an excellent observation there. You you made an excellent observation earlier about the idea that where a guy is drafted has a huge impact on whether or not he succeeds or fails. And think of all the factors. It's not just the guy. It's not the guy. It's what kind of Mm -hmm. coaching he gets, what kind of development he gets, what kind of support system he has. Is he being literally yanked away from a cocoon where he has resided for most of his life and dropped into some distant city where he knows no one? where he has no one, where he isn't comfortable, he's not happy. These are all things that get glossed over. At a time when we are, and rightfully so, paying attention to the mental health of players like never before, you think about it, you're 21, 22 years old, you are ripped away from home, and you're told, this is where you're going to live, and you have no choice in the matter. And and, and I, I this is one of my soapbox issues, but... It, it just bugs me that the players are supposed to think that this is some great thing for them. And they're brainwashed into thinking it. And that's part of the hype of this week that I'm cutting against the grain of right now. Because we're supposed to saying this we're supposed to say this is great. This is the best thing that can happen to you. Hey, ten year old kid who aspires to ten years from now end up being drafted. The fact that you're going to get yanked away from home and drop 2,000 miles from where you grew up, from where your family is, from where anyone you know is, that that's a good thing for you. But they're all, by the time they're entering this process, ask any of them. They're all brainwashed into thinking Mm -hmm. that, hey, this is just the way it is. And it's an honor and a privilege. When the reality is, the privilege is all the NFLs. These are great players. The teams are drafting players that ideally are going to help them win. And this is the the system they've come up with to try to smooth it all out and even it out. But this benefits the league and the teams far more than it benefits the players. But they've managed to convince the players it's some special privilege that has descended from on high to to nestle them in their hand and carry them away to their football destiny. And anyway, I just, as you may be able to tell, I've got a problem with that. But that's the interesting thing is the draft itself 
and the pomp and circumstance of it, which really is only experienced by, you know, a finite number of kids compared to the number of kids who play college football and went to the league either as undrafted guys or whatever. But, and, you know, by the time the fifth round comes, people are shutting off their TVs and wandering away anyway. But the build up to the draft and to find out where you're going is supposed to be like unwrapping a present. If you unwrap that present and it sucks, or Jacksonville, you're not nearly as happy as it would have been if it was keys to a car. I mean, the difference between a Jacksonville and a Los Angeles Rams or a Jacksonville and a New England who is, you know, historically capable and stable in a, in a place where you know you're going to get a certain level of coaching. It's, it's unbelievable. So I think that does start to sink into these players, having been in the locker rooms and talked to players, you know, where you're marooned. Zach Wilson at number two to the Jets. We never talked about that pick last year as we went along in the process, Mike, did we? It was just a fait accompli. The Jets have taken Zach Wilson. Never interrogated it very much. He ends up there. Is he really that ideal for New York? I know Joe Douglas is happy with the way he played at the end of last year, the general manager, but now he could conceivably be surrounded by some high leverage decisions made to bring in wide receivers around him. So all of this stuff sets a guy up, and then if it explodes on you, it's not the Johnson family's fault. It's not Joe Douglas's fault. It's your polluted broken Zach Wilson and you're going someplace else because you had the misfortune of having the arm talent to go number two. So to me, the whole thing is, is fascinating, but that's a real truth of it that you, you start to experience. I don't want to go on too long here, but I'll, I'll bring up one first round pick the Harry that we're dealing with here in new England. This is a guy who was born in Turks and Caicos. When he was in high school, he was sent to live with his uh, grandmother in Chandler, Arizona, because I understood he was a phenomenal basketball player, primarily. Started playing football as well. Had some concussions in high school. Thought about quitting football. Goes to Arizona State. Plays football there. Winds up a first-round pick. Comes to New England, the most intense, demanding program in the NFL. He just wasn't really built with that level of intensity over the course of his life from the age of seven and pop Warner until he got here. And I think it's borne out over the course of time while he's been here. This was the worst place he could have gone. Michael, back to you. I want to back up to the jets for a second, because as you were explaining what the jets are trying to do, it reminded me of the fact that the jets continue to try to build their team from the outside in instead of the inside out. You're never going to have a good team in New York unless you have a great offensive line and a competent defensive line. But they've been so caught up in bells and whistles in recent years, they're getting it backward. They need to focus on offensive line to protect Zach Wilson before they think about going out and buying or trading for a big-name receiver. Because it doesn't matter who it is if he's not open. And if it's Debo Samuel, we're going to talk about that in a second, it doesn't matter if you're going to hand him the football if he can't get blocking to spring him open and give him an opportunity to get to the second level and beyond. But as it relates to Nikhil Harry, you raise a, a, a point that I've been struggling with as it relates to the chronic inability of Bill Belichick's Patriots to mm-hmm. draft and develop young receivers. Because I think it's a combination of bad scouting, bad selection, and bad development. Because I can envision Bill Belichick out on the practice field. They're running the reps. They've got the young receivers. They don't know where to line up. They don't know what they're supposed to do. He gets pissed off and he says, get me somebody out here who knows what they're doing. And they just never develop the way they could. It can't be that all these guys are just whiffed on in the scouting process. I think when they get there, whether it's because they're overwhelmed or it's because the offense is too complicated. Maybe everybody would fail. I say all the time, hey, they picked Nikhil Harry. They could have had Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf. They, they passed on each of them and took Nikhil Harry. But maybe the other three guys would have failed too. Very I, I just argument. don't know whether it's just bad scouting or bad development. But as you explain the history and the background of Nikhil Harry, I say, why did they think he was going to be fish to water with the Patriot way? I think there was a link to the ASU as Arizona state um, head coach, Todd Graham at the time. And Belichick felt comfortable with his appraisal of Harry Belichick has often said, look, when I ask people for advice, I want to ask people who know what my standards are 
so that when I say, so that when he says he's a good football player, we both know what I'm talking about. In Nikhil Harry's instance, he is a player who, who looks the part, fits the suit, doesn't play with the style all the time that you'd want. So I don't know why they missed on it, but I don't know if A.J. Brown from Ole Miss was the kind of player that they would want either at that juncture. I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen them take a player from Ole Miss. Belichick has these profiles of players and colleges that he'll go to. Right now it's Georgia and Michigan um, largely, um, and Alabama, obviously. But Alabama had fallen off for a while. Rutgers. What happened to Rutgers? Yeah, Rutgers for that period of time. And there's times where I look at that and – say you're not really casting this huge wide net you're going back over and over and over again to the same places which in one hand is good but there's also some good players out there talented players I will say there's an interesting aspect of the development some of it ties back to Tom Brady where his demand level for players made it difficult for them to not pee their pants on their way to practice and poop them during practice because he would scream at them when they messed it up but you take a guy like Jacoby Myers, undrafted out of North Carolina State, I'm not saying that he's a, a Pro Bowl-level receiver. He's been extremely productive here. He's developed. Edelman, developed. A kid named Malcolm Mitchell, fourth-round pick, developed. All of them. Two undrafted – no, excuse me, one undrafted, one seventh, and a fourth. Those are their best developed receivers. So it's the scouting, bottom line. It's, it's the scouting um, or the decision made because sometimes the scouting – points the team in one direction and the decision made by bill on draft day is different two important points one you better give bill belichick good information when he comes calling or he's never going to listen to you ever again i I think todd graham is off the list now and that reminds me of something that jim moore the younger told me four or five years ago when he is asked for those assessments about players, he always tells the truth because the most important thing is his credibility. He doesn't get get caught up in, i got to help my guy. It's more, mm-hmm. I need to have credibility with these folks. So when there is a truly great player and I tell them that, that player gets showcased, selected, scouted, and has an opportunity to thrive. And the other thing you said, and this is a critical point, because this, this proves something I've said in the past as it relates to quarterbacks. But even receivers now, if it had been A.J. Brown to the Patriots and Nikhil Harry to the Titans, is it possible that right now A.J. Brown would be the guy on the way out after the arrival of Devontae Parker via trade and we'd be talking about Nikhil Harry getting a gigantic contract with the Tennessee Titans? Is it that simple? You just flip where they played, flip where they developed, flip where they came of age and the opportunities they had. I mean, there really aren't many opportunities in the grand scheme of things to prove what you can do. You got 16 games a year, now 17. You've got a total of 49 games over the last three years for both of these guys to prove themselves. And it it just shows you how many other factors beyond the inherent talent, work ethic, ability, and will of the player that goes into it. And when a player fails, it doesn't mean the player failed. The circumstances failed, and there are a lot of factors that can go into it. And that same player could have thrived somewhere else. Could have. In this instance, I don't think Nikhil Harry is wired for the intensity level of the NFL at this point. But there were a million times, Mike, over the last few years where I've looked at him and go, he's 22. He's the same age as my middle son. And when you get to an age in life um, – for the viewers out there who are dealing with it, when we're covering these teams, and especially a kid who comes from a college into the league, and you have a kid at that age, you start to view it, not always, but a little bit differently. So I've sometimes made the effort to pull a punch with evaluating Nikhil, but I think it's been hardwired instinctive for him. Instinctive is in the right way. Hardwired, he was not programmed as someone who lived in, say, Texas, Florida, Georgia, to love football from the beginning of his career. And then he went to a place where football has to course through your veins. I think A.J. Brown would have been able to play here in New England. Same with D.K. Metcalf, the other guys who fit that suit. I'm just stunned that Bill Belichick would miss so badly then on a guy where the warning signs were there that he's not going to be baked in football, 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 the way that you need in order to thrive with the New England Patriots. It really is amazing. And I get what you're saying, too. My son's now 25. As you have children, 
that progress through the early 20s and you deal with those children and the issues that they deal with, the issues their friends deal with, you develop a much greater sensitivity to what these kids are dealing with and you throw in the money, the social media, the notoriety and everything that goes along with it. And we expect them because they are such phenomenal physical specimens, we expect them I don't know. I don't say we, and I definitely don't now that I understand the mentality of someone in his early 20s much better than when I was in my early 20s. We can't expect them to be as mature as that ability, that football ability would suggest. They are still Mm -hmm. unfinished products. The brain doesn't complete its overall growth and development until 25. And there's a lot of factors that go into it. And I just think that so much of that gets lost on coaches and and general managers and owners because in their mind these are just new pieces for our football factory and we're going to jam them into place and they're either going to mm-hmm. work or they're not and if they don't we're going to throw them out and we're going to put a new piece in and it's that cold it's that dispassionate it's that objective because they they have no other way that they can justify doing it that's the way they've always done it Every NFL team is a football machine, and you put new pieces in, and you take old pieces out all the time. Hey, this piece works. Good. This one's broken. Get rid of it. And that's just the way it is. But the mechanic, i.e. the general manager and the coach, they have a finite amount of time that you don't necessarily have in the other industries in the country. They can be fired every four years. They're on contracts. They're They're in the crosshairs the way, I mean, the pressures that visit upon somebody between the ages of 35 and 60 are different from 25, but until you're there, you don't realize what they are. And nobody wants to be out of work at 48 and not knowing what the hell they're going to do next. Cause then they're going to go and uproot because after they get poop canned in, in, you know, New York or wherever now, okay, family, let's move for the eighth time in the next few years. So it's, it's interesting. So there's an urgency that accompanies and an, an unsettledness that accompanies all the kids coming into the league and all the, coaches, GMs, executives who have a finite amount of time they're going to be in those jobs. But it's what they signed up for. It's a brilliant job to be in. We're lucky to cover it. They're lucky to be there. It's the trade-off. Um, but it's a hype. I guess the bottom Who's line Who's lucky is- to be there? Who's lucky to be there? The kids with the phenomenal God-given talent who have busted their asses for years to get the most out of it, they're not lucky to be there. They deserve to be there. Lucky to be there, I guess... I was more referring to me and the GMs because they're talented, right? But I'm lucky to have this job. I mean, there's good fortune to having these jobs when there's a finite amount of time. Look, you can be a kid in high school. If you're a junior in high school and you can jump out of the gym and you don't have a good high school coach and you end up on JV until your sophomore year and you go to a running team, you never get to college, you never get the opportunity. So there is luck involved from the time you're at 16, 15, whatever. Even younger than that. You get pigeonholed at the wrong position, right? Right. And and it just perpetuates itself, and you never get a chance to develop the thing you have the highest level of skill at. I, I, I've, I've seen that play out over the years. You know, the big kid who shows up gets stuck on the line. Well, what if that kid could have been developed into some other position? No, he's, we need the biggest kids to play the line. Big kids play in the line. I don't care how athletic he is. We need somebody to block. The big kids play the line. That happens right. time and again. And there may be some hidden skill there that never comes out. So there is a certain amount of fortuity that goes into it. I get that. I agree with you there. Phew. Dodged the bullet. I was getting late, absolutely lacerated on that. Thought it was a good, thought, thought it was a good point by but, me. But, but, the upshot but, is, but, but by the time the, they get to the NFL, they're a fully formed physical product that is the right. combination of God-given ability, nurturing of it, working hard. You know, we, we don't put enough. We, we just think these guys just like show up. And they can do all these things. They, they, they do. The best of the best tend to work at it pretty hard. They don't just roll out of bed with that level of ability. There's a lot of effort and dedication and, you know, getting up early and doing all the right things and eating the right food. I mean, it's, there, there is a lot of that for a lot of the kids who are ready to play in the NFL. Yeah. And this process, I guess, too, this process of the draft as opposed to the reality that sets in in early May when you go to the rookie minicamp. The process of the draft is kind of a great unveiling. You know, you, you get you get to find out, you know, up here in New England, there's so many, you know, medical hospitals. There's, there's a lot of guys, they go through the doctors. The doctors find out where they're going to work. 
but I don't think there's any other industry that really does the same thing where you don't know where you're going to work. And that's why, you know, you've alluded to it, but I don't think you go into it that deeply because you don't have really a remedy, but the draft in all sports is an archaic, somewhat primitive way of dictating the way people's professional lives are going to go. And I don't know if it should be just an open bidding situation because you have to have the balance of power that's inherent in, in these in professional sports leagues where one team can't collect the best, but it's absolutely something that's has always spoken to me. I'm sure you and a million fans, oh, these guys, they don't have any control over where they go. If you're a, all those other industries, you get to pick it. Hey, no, millions of fans are too busy thinking the draft is awesome and everything about it's awesome and this is the way it is. They don't think about the fact that it those is kids inherently anti-American. Right there, it's an honor and a privilege. And if you don't like it, go do something else. There's that crowd. If you don't like it, go do something else. Don't play football if you don't like it. It's not 32 different businesses. It's one business. It's the NFL. The reality is it's 32 different businesses. The only reason they are allowed to have a draft is because they have a multi-employer collective bargaining unit that permits that process. When the NFL went through the lockout in 2011, that's when I first became sensitive to this issue, Tom. Jeffrey Kessler, who's been representing the NFLPA as outside counsel for years, said, you know, without a union... The draft is an antitrust violation, and it is because it's 32 separate businesses coming together to decide who works where. And look, I got an easy solution for it. I do. No one's ever going to agree with it. It's never going to happen because the draft is too big of a deal. And what you would replace it with would not be nearly as compelling as the process of the team's selecting it's like the sorting hat from harry potter you need to have that ceremony there wouldn't be the same ceremony if the players were picking their schools you know the whole hey i got five hats and i'm gonna pick one up that's not gonna have the same sizzle that's not gonna have the same sizzle the draft has but but tom simple simple solution you have a truly hard rookie salary cap where the dollars are are allocated based upon how good or bad you are Bad teams have more, good teams have less. So you only got so many dollars to work for, work with to go out and attract rookies if you're the defending Super Bowl champion. You got to allocate those wisely. You got to go recruit. You know, you don't get rewarded for being bad. You don't get rewarded for being dysfunctional. You've got to go out and convince these folks to come play with you. And really, it's not going to be like Oklahoma in the 70s where they go six deep at tailback with potential Heisman winners because they convince them all to come and play there. Guys are going to go to where they have an opportunity to get on the field. That's going to be a factor as well. Like if I'm a great quarterback, Why am I going to the Chiefs? They're set Mm -hmm. for the next 10 years. I'm going to go to a team that needs a quarterback. And then you throw in the potential failure of scouting. Somebody made the point this weekend. I think it was Shereen Williams. If there was no draft, there was no draft, the Cowboys would have been back to a Super Bowl by now. Well, how do we know that? Because in 2016, they wanted Paxton Lynch. They wanted Connor Cook. They ended up with Dak Prescott because they missed on the other two guys. We don't know. that these teams are going to go out and attract the right players and develop the right players. I don't think that it would be nearly the, the baseball style haves and have nots that would, that would arise if there was no draft. I don't think it would be like that at all, but the big thing is it would take away the spectacle that we're going to see in Las Vegas this week. That that's the main reason why the NFL won't get rid of it. Yeah. I mean, they've built everything around it. It's very interesting too. When you talk about the hats, and players, 17, 18, 19 year olds, picking up a hat and choosing on the colleges. Um, and those colleges in some of the big time schools, they lament the fact that these kids can hold the fortunes of their profession, their own careers in their hands. If you're going to get this kid or that kid. And then four years later, it's totally flipped. But the attitude with which those kids at 17, 18 and 19 have the wherewithal to control their situation and go to the place they think fits best or gives them the best NIL or, you know, whichever booster took care of them the best um, or wants to be in the sunshine or maybe even where he can get a degree if he isn't playing in the NFL by 29. But they get to choose. They get to choose. They get to choose. 
in the NFL, the NFL does the choosing. So, um, yeah, it's always a fun conversation. It's, but I like, I never thought of your, your hey, solution. But, I don't hate but, it. But, but, but Tommy, it's, it's amazing. The people out there who don't want to have their draft experience removed, they don't want it to change. They like it the way it is. They will say things like, well, you know, the college players ultimately don't get to choose. They, <clears throat> they, they have to be offered a scholarship. Well, yes, but they still get to choose among the, the best of the best are going to have scholarship offers out the wazoo. That's the point. You should get to choose. And I used to ask the players about this when we would do the, the car wash interviews before the draft, and we, we still do them to a certain extent. And Sims had, had done some, brother from another's done some. Only one guy over the years, maybe more than one, but the one that stands out to me is Joey Bosa. When I'd ask the question of, you know, you ever think you should be allowed to pick your NFL team the way that you picked your college? Joey Bosa was like, yeah, you know, I thought about that. Most guys are, they just accept it because what else can you do? And I guess I would be the same way at that age. What are you going to do? Because you're also coached by your agents about what to say. And they all say the same thing. They all say the right thing. I'll go wherever I'm drafted. I'll contribute however they want me to contribute because the agent wants them to be drafted as high as possible because that's the highest fee for the agent. So let's not do anything to get anyone to take this guy off the board because he may have some some independent thinking. We don't want independent thinkers. We want guys who are going to blindly take their spot in our football machine and try to make it go as smoothly as possible. Yeah, it's, it's funny. You know, Tom Brady, obviously, by the time he was taken in the sixth round, one, it didn't matter. He would have taken wherever was asking him to work. But you got a guy from Michigan, very smart guy, you know, grew up in a family of highly educated folks. He had no idea where New England was, had no concept of where it actually was. Because at that time, you know, you're just not cognizant. Okay, what is New England? What does that mean? So, yeah, these guys are thrown to, into outposts to, to circle it back to Nikhil Harry um, and to bring in the football a little bit, too. I remember he had a very good camp. The Patriots went to Tennessee in 2019 um, after Harry had actually, in his first preseason game, on the first drive of his first preseason game with Brady throwing to him, he caught a comeback on the sideline, looked fantastic, and went up over a defensive back. All these in the first drive. Then he turned his ankle. And it was never the same. He was in Tennessee during that summer. And he came out of a workout. They had this open-air weight room at Tennessee. And the team, the Titans and the Patriots, were practicing on three fields. And Nikhil Harry came out of the weight room with his shoes in his hand, barefoot, and just kind of meandered around the fields where the players were practicing. Now, the ones, Patriots ones and the Titans ones, were on the far field about – 60 yards away. Nikhil's just wandering around with his shoes off. No place to go, nothing to do. Normally, a player, I would tell my kid if he was playing, can you get over there and watch the ones? That's where they want you. Go get get over there. He just wandered around for 20 minutes. And <laughs> at that point, I was like, what's up with this guy? And four years later, Devontae Parker is the Nikhil Harry. Something you said about Tom Brady fired something in my brain that I'd never really thought about before. We talk about this a lot now, but even in 2000, it was true when Tom Brady was waiting and waiting and waiting for the call while the six other quarterbacks, including the likes of Spurgeon Wynn and Giovanni Carmazzi and T. Martin were drafted ahead of him. By pick number 199, he would have been better off not being drafted at all. Mm -hmm. Now, but because the kids are so brainwashed into thinking that you need to be drafted. There's some validation in being drafted. Hey, I was drafted. It's pass fail. Were you drafted or not drafted? Well, I was drafted. Well, I wasn't drafted. Oh, you weren't drafted. Boy, you must suck. But you're better off not being drafted when you go that late because then you can pick your destination. You can go to the 49ers and say, hey, why don't you sign me as an undrafted free agent? And I'll, I'll show you pretty quickly that this Carmazzi guy from Hofstra that you pissed away a third-round pick on is nothing compared to me, right? He could. He could have. He could have. I, I wonder yeah. where he would have picked. That's a great question. I wonder where he would have selected had he gotten to the undrafted level, which would have been insane, as you know, Bill Polian said they had a first-round grade on him. 
Um, yeah, of course I mean, he did. Sure, sure, Jan. <laughs> but you look at that. I, w- I wonder where everybody had a. Sure, isn't it funny? Sure as hell Tom, wouldn't have been New England. Isn't it funny? All the teams that had a first round grade on Tom Brady, but left him on the board until round six. Yeah, isn't it that is. funny? Because the Patriots and the, the Patriots and Bill Belichick's um, misgiving about Brady was that he split time with with Drew Henson. So why couldn't he win the job? And to me, I'm like. Well, you know that he's got the character, and you know that he was out there, he, he performed. You know that he works hard. Is he a little doughy? Is that the problem? Because you've done the the research and the intel. Drew Henson was starting because Drew Henson was the best prospect in the country, and he wanted to come to you, and that was the trade-off that Lloyd Carr had to make to sell his program so that he picked his Michigan hat. So, But I, I, Brady sure as hell wasn't going to come here because Drew Bledsoe was on a $103 million contract so i wonder where he would have picked i think the big issue for tom brady was that photo that he hopes elon musk will delete from the internet forever once musk buys twitter the middle-aged man who rolls out of bed with a raging prostate at three in the morning and wanders into the bathroom that that unparalleled combine photo and his performance of the combine i mean it just shows you how meaningless the combine is it shows you how meaningless all of this stuff is because there's no way to get inside a guy's chest cavity and measure his heart, his will, his desire, what he's going to do at the next level. There's a ceiling over every player who thrived in college from Hall of Fame all the way down to, nope, it's not for you. And you don't find (laughs) out until it's time to go out and put on the helmet and put on the pads and go compete with the big boys. Who can rise to the occasion and who can't? That's the great unknown in all of this. All that money that's spent traveling the country, traversing the globe, looking for talent. We don't know until you put them out there with other NFL caliber players to see who steps up and who steps off. Well, I am happy to report that we made it through 40 minutes of the program without talking about a single thing that we were supposed to talk about. So when we return, we will a couple times. We will commence the process of cramming two hours of crap into an hour and 20-minute bag. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California... And starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. There's been a lot of chatter about Tom joining the Miami Dolphins next year uh, as a part owner. Uh, Given that that it's out there, has there been any effort on the organization's part to maybe offer Tom something to kind of seal him with you guys for the future? No, um, we haven't had those discussions. So all the only discussions I've had that we've had with Tom is when he came back and we're excited about this year and we're excited to get going. No discussions beyond 2022 and what has happened since Jason Light made those comments last week at a pre-draft prep press conference Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have revised his contract for this year to create some cap space, just enough to bring back Gronk, but no new years. That's the key. Brady's still on track to be a free agent next year, and if he wants to play for another team, any team at all, he has the power to go do it. That's the key, because last year they created cap space, Tom, by extending him for a year. Mm -hmm. This year they create cap space without extending him. I don't think he wanted to be extended i think i don't think he wanted to be back this year and i know that just that makes buccaneers fans very happy every time i say that but i don't think he wanted to be back this year i think he retired from the buccaneers not from the nfl and he realized when he had no other options and they weren't going to let him leave his only choice if he wanted to play football was to go back to tampa bay and he did maybe the conversation with the glazers was hey you guys want to sell me some (laughs) Maybe that's what they were talking about over there in London. Well, I don't. Or, it, but well, well, I, I think by then, by then he knew he was coming back. By then he had no choice. I don't know if he had to undo any damage 
with them. That There's one theory that he went over there to kiss the ring a little bit to make sure they were okay with that. him coming back. Well, but, but let me, let me, you're very quick to dismiss. You know, he embarked on this plan to end up in Miami as a minority owner. That's 100% true. The Dolphins were planning to introduce him as a minority owner of the team as soon as Super Bowl week after he retired on February 1. It was the Brian Flores lawsuit that blew all that up, that blew up the whole potential Tom Brady, Sean Payton coupling in Miami. And even if you take Payton out of the mix, it was on track for Brady to become a minority owner of the Dolphins. And that is 100% true. It was happening. The Dolphins have privately admitted they were talking about Brady becoming a part owner of the team. So when he retired, remember remember the day he retired and people yep. in New England got upset because he didn't mention the Patriots at all? Correct. I think the reason he didn't mention the Patriots is it was a, the focal point was I'm retiring for the, from the Buccaneers. I am breaking up with you, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's who I'm retiring from right now. I'm not making my full-blown final retirement from football. When I do that, of course, I'll be effusive about the New England Patriots. That's a really – I hadn't thought of that. Because I think we were so immersed in the notion of him doing it because the Patriots got their thank you and they were were not entitled to a second thank you because (laughs) they're the ones who orchestrated him not finishing here. So that's what we have taken as as the upshot of why they weren't there. But that that does make sense. Hey, I'm I'm not moving on from the NFL. I'm moving on from the Bucs. So I don't want to get hammered with, and I'll miss you too, you know, all these cities that I played in one time that I'll never see again. But let me ask you this, Mike, if all that was going to happen, this is never something that I've actually heard the explanation given. When was he going to play for the Dolphins? He gets the minority ownership. The Flores thing never happens. Peyton gets hired. When was Tom Brady going to be extricated from Tampa to play for Miami? A deal would have been done between the Dolphins and the Buccaneers sometime in the spring, I was told. The timeline was... too easy to explain. How would that happen? I'm I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Tom Brady becomes minority owner, and as Ben Volan has reported, he would have taken a Derek Jeter-style role, front office executive with the Dolphins. Peyton gets traded for and becomes head coach, and some point in the spring the Dolphins and the Buccaneers do a deal. Now, the Buccaneers could have said no way, no how, but by then the Buccaneers would have moved on. There's an alternate universe out there where the Buccaneers go get Baker Mayfield or the Buccaneers go get Deshaun Watson. The Buccaneers go get someone and move on. It's a different conversation altogether once the Buccaneers have moved on. And at that point, and this is what I was arguing back then, Look at what Tom Brady has done for this team. You mean to tell me if Tom Brady doesn't go to Jason Light or one of the Glazers and say, I brought you bastards a Super Bowl championship. Pardon me. I filled your stadium for a year when it otherwise would have been Cricket City. Let me go. Take whatever the Dolphins are going to give you. And I know Sims is big on the idea that there are already conversations about a second-round pick. I haven't reported that because I haven't nailed that down. Sims believes that there were conversations there was going to be a second-round pick traded for Brady at some point and that that deal was already in place. Again, I don't know that, but it, 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 it would have worked out. And you know what? You I know just what? don't, I just don't think the bus would have over that easily. Well, let, well, let me can't. tell you, I think, I think, I think somebody from three forty-five would have gotten involved and said, Hey, well, Hey, look, Buccaneers, let's have a conversation here. Let me, let me make this point, Tom. Let's have a conversation here. Buccaneers. Remember in 2020, when you guys were blatantly tampering with Tom Brady, when Bruce Arians is at the scouting combine openly saying he's going to pursue Tom Brady before free agency even begins. And we didn't come down on you. We could have taken a third round pick. We could have taken more from you for that. We didn't do it. So you let this go because we need Tom Brady in the NFL and he's not playing for you. You're not going to stand in his way while he plays for somebody else. You're working this deal out. I think that it would have come to that if it came to that, that the NFL would have twisted the Buccaneers' arms to ensure that this guy is able to play in the NFL in 2022. Think about Tom Brady, and I do a lot. <laughs> I have my, most of my professional life, which is a, that is a privilege because I've got to watch Babe Ruth and Wayne Gretzky in, in some regards and Derek Jeter for most of my life, and then he's moved on. Since he's moved on, you know, 2016, they beat Atlanta to come back from 28-3, to and someone told me after that Super Bowl, someone very close to Tom, said, everything changes now. I said, what does that mean? He said, well, he's got five. Nobody else has five. 
Montana doesn't have five. Bradshaw doesn't have five. He's in rarefied air. And that was the offseason where the schism began. That it was early 2017 going into the 2017 season because Brady self-actualized. He became self-aware. And the TB12 book came out. Tom versus Time was in the works. Um, Gronkowski, as he was coming back, Brady was, look, you do stuff on your terms, okay? You go see Alex and don't listen to Bill um, telling you to do squats and to do this and to do that. You stick to this regimen and you'll be better off, which Brady was right and Guerrero was right. Um, But as it went along, Belichick's like, what is going on with this guy now? What's the story? And that's where the schism began. But once Tom Brady became self-aware in 2017 to 2018 to 2019 to 2020, Look at all the things that he's done, the cottage industries he's began. And I think a lot of it, Mike, dates back to what else was happening at the start of 2016. He was serving a four-game suspension handed down to him by 345 on trumped-up jaywalking charges that they weren't even sure that he jaywalked. So that, I think, was a seismic turn in Tom Brady's life where he's like, if it's not Bill up my ass and telling me what to do, it's the league trying to ruin me and my reputation you know what, I'm going to do stuff for Tom over the next five years. And I think that's allowed. Are there times for me as somebody who covered him, who developed a professional friendship with him, to say, that's not the guy I know. Yeah, but there's also reasons why I know he's changed. And I don't think he's changed as a character because it's the competitiveness. He is competing to say, I'm going to do stuff my way now. I did it everybody else's way for 17 years. Now it's time for me to do my stuff. I earned it. Which feeds into the idea that he decided after two years with the Buccaneers, taking them to the Super Bowl, doing everything he could to get them to another one, bringing them back from a 27-3 deficit, and but for a horrible defensive call, finishing what would have been almost as great a comeback as 28-3 against the Falcons in Super Bowl 51 in his final game of the 2021 season which we thought for 40 days was his final game ever he's got the right if he wants to exercise it to go where he wants to go that may have been the cold splash of water that already or ultimately ended up uh, being dumped on his head Deion Sanders on Tim McCarver style when he wasn't able to engineer his way out of Tampa Bay and really again but for the Brian Flores lawsuit which dropped the same day he announced his retirement and I'm convinced that Flores knew what was planned and I don't think there are coincidences in this world Tom Curran I think that Flores filed the lawsuit knowing it was going to blow up Stephen Ross's plan to have Sean Payton and Tom Brady and that that's why it landed that day to short circuit that plan before it could get any farther along so Bottom line is they come back for one more year with a new head coach in Tampa Bay. We'll talk about that in a second. And next year, if Tom Brady decides to keep playing, he'll have the opportunity to do what we talked about for a lot of last segment, pick his next destination. And that would be a fascinating thing because I do remember in 2019, as the process was going along, talking to folks before Brady was done, and I mentioned Miami at that point to, to somebody. I mentioned it to Chris Greer, and he's like, oh, I don't, know. I don't know if he'd want to come down here. He's the GM of the Dolphins. Spoke also right. to somebody close, uh, close to Brady, and they said, Dolphins have a lot of cap space, and they have a lot of picks. And they also have a couple of Michigan men there in Stephen Ross, and the name of the gentleman escapes me. Who's Bruce Beal. His close friend, you. Bruce Beal. The owner Correct. in waiting. That's the, that's the hookup. It's not Ross, it's Brady and Beal. Remember the allegations in the Flores complaint about the unnamed high-profile quarterback that he was being pressured to meet with? Mm-hmm. And t- it was Brady, and Beal was the go-between. Beal was the one who was going to make it happen. That's what people believe, and you throw that dart, you're probably going to come close to the bullseye on it being true, but it was Bruce Beal. He's the one. Look at the photos of the crew that goes to the Kentucky Derby. There's Brady, there's Beal. They're tight, they're tight. And that's why it was going to happen this year. It was Beal again, bringing Brady to Miami. Tom, you, you, you probably know this better than I do. The one team, the Patriots, were convinced that Tom Brady was going to, as the 2019 season came to a close, was the Miami Dolphins. They feared it. They believed it. And I think they were very relieved when he didn't go there. Yeah. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I think what 
I don't know if I agree with that because I just don't think they ever thought Tom Brady would leave. Well, once Maybe they knew he was be- leaving, once they knew he was leaving, they feared he was going to Miami. <clears throat> yeah, um, which would have been, yeah, so March. I, <clears throat> there was so much, excuse me, pick up. I don't want to subject everyone. I'll, I'll, uh, Tom's uh, having a little bit of a, an allergy or something there. I don't know. Something something is attacking Tom Curran. We'll get him back here momentarily. But I something know dislodged in it there. became inevitable something. that Brady was leaving. That's when the Patriots became very concerned that it was going to be the Dolphins for Tom Brady in 2020. Anyway, yeah, was, I think as for, you were saying. Yeah, for Robert Kraft, I think that – see, Belichick didn't care. Didn't care. He thought he was done. He thought he was washed. He was like, what are we going to do? I've been watching it for three years here. He's in decline. There's too many things that we will know how to stop him if we have to deal with him, which kind of was borne out a little bit this past year. They didn't stop him. Tampa Bay Buccaneers won. There were drops in the end zone by Antonio Brown, but you know, the upshot of it was that for all the things that the NFL is about appearances and power, Robert Kraft would not have wanted him in Miami for a lot of reasons and competition wise, but also, you know, I have to deal with this twice a year for the next few years. So we'll get probably more. He couldn't have stopped it. He couldn't have stopped it though. He he couldn't have stopped it. He could have. Now, now, well, there could have been a could have given him $25 million. That's all he wanted. All he wanted was some, the well, friggin' Breeze contract, two twenty-five guaranteed, and they hard-assed him over and over and over again to the point we're not doing that, Tom. We're not doing that. The most ridiculously short-sighted decision that you can possibly make is taking a player who's still playing at an MVP level, who can win Super Bowls, who's working for about sixty percent of what he could command, and say, "Yeah, we actually we can't find a spot for you, buddy." So ultimately, he goes back to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and 17 days after he unretires, Bruce Arians is out. And Mm -hmm. we are supposed to believe that there is absolutely no connection between the two events. And, you know, the mere fact that Tom Brady was not the slightest bit troubled, the point that I made back at the time, just think if Drew Brees had unretired after 40 days in 2021 and Sean Payton had left 17 days later, Brees would have said, what the hell? Mm-hmm. What the hell? I came back and now you're gone. But it just underscores the fact that Bruce Arians was kind of semi-retired and not really involved. And, you know, I, I think they should be far more troubled than they are about the fact that Arians is gone because I think on game day he did a good job of not screwing up. Of all the times we talk about coaches who screw up on game day, Arians is never one of them, you know, icing his own kicker or, or making a bad decision on fourth down or any of that stuff that mars the careers of other coaches who soon become former coaches. Arians doesn't have his fingerprints on those kinds of boneheaded decisions. And I'm not saying Todd Bowles will or does, but you take a lot for granted when you have a guy who is very locked in and able to get the job done during those three hours on Sundays. The reality, though, is he was kind of checked out for the rest of the week, and he was delegating a lot. But um, Arians continues to protest too much, in my opinion, about the idea that there was professional friction between him and Tom Brady. And Arians was at it again last night. Arians Family Foundation Gala. Talking to Rick Stroud. Hey, Tom sent me a picture of a $50,000 watch. We how, how can we hate each other if he's giving me a watch? We're going to golf when he's back in town. We don't hate each other. And he's missing the point. It's exactly. okay for people to not see eye to eye professionally and still be friends. The goal is to separate the professional relationship before it undermines the friendship. I've known people, and Tom, I'm sure you have as well, that you just can't work with professionally, but you like personally. We may be proving that today. I like you no matter what, but I can't work with you may be the end result after two hours of this. I don't know. We've still got an hour to go. But And at the end of it, if I leave People can compartmentalize. Yep. And, and if I leave quietly, say, you know what, Mike? Yeah, you're right. All right. It's probably best off. You might send me a twenty buck Starbucks gift, <laughs> gift card because of that. You would appreciate 15, that. Fifteen. Fifteen. And you'd say, "Hey, when I'm up there, let's uh, whatever it is you like to do with your time, smoke a cigar because I know you're not going to play golf." So you would say that. Here's a gift certificate and a cigar on the back porch, and we would still have a good relationship. That's the essence of it. But Tom, if you want to stay and keep co-hosting with me, Mike would say, 
as Brady would have said to Arians, you're going to have to do X, Y, and Z. And I would have said, that's too early in the day for me. I'm not doing that every day. So I'm, I'm going to prefer to not do it. And then you'd say, phew, he kind of was a pain in my ass anyway, not a pain in my ass. It's just, it's totally a way. That's what I think the Glazer meeting probably more, more likely was. Like, I want to come back. I want to keep playing for you guys. I'm contracted. I know you're not going to let me out. Since you're not going to let me out, um, how can we express to Bruce that, that I want things done a little bit differently? And if we can't express to Bruce that, that he accedes to doing those things differently, um, what can we do about maybe moving him into some kind of a situation where he's not um, the head coach on the sideline and doing the game plans? Boom. It's that simple. All done with and dignity. They, all done with respect and love. Oh, They crafted a narrative that allowed Arians to walk away mm-hmm. with his head held high with no sense that he was pushed, that he's the one who's choosing to leave, even though it defies common sense and logic, right? He's got it made. That, that was the point when, I think it was Jason Lockhart for a Super Sunday splash report for Super Bowl 55. If the Buccaneers win, Bruce Arians may retire. And Arians was saying that's bullcrap, although, you know, he doesn't say bullcrap, and I would like to say the other word too. Sometimes I do. But... You know, the the sense was he's going to coach as long as Brady's there. He's got it made. He's not working very hard. Others are taking care of everything. Todd Bowles runs the defense. Byron Leftwich runs the offense. Arians just putters around in the golf cart and shows up for the games. It's great. It's great. You've worked hard your whole life. You're entitled to enjoy yourself in your final few years. And then all of a sudden it pivots to, well, I had an opportunity to hand the reins to one of my guys without – Kyle Trask or Blaine Gabbard as the quarterback. All due respect to them, and both are going to be great players. But, you know, I get, I get to give Todd Bowles the team with Tom Brady still here, and that's, that's what I always wanted to do. Even if you look back at the things he said over the years, there's no indication that's what he always wanted to do. I never had a no. sense that he had this grand aspiration that whenever I'm done, you know, hey, look, all, 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 he's, all he's been doing when the coaching cycle kicks in every year the hiring and interview process he's pushing his guys there was never a well you know one of them should stick around because i'm gonna walk away while tom brady's still here and give them the reins that was never discussed so they crafted a narrative they're working very hard to continue to sell it and bruce arians i'm sorry i just don't believe it and he he recognizes that people aren't going to believe it and he's still pushing back I, I think it's because he's a good guy and has created so many outstanding relationships with media members that he feels as if the true story should not be really interrogated. Can't you just leave it? Can't you just stop picking at it, folks? Huh? I'm a good guy. Yeah. Tom likes Can't me. Can't just I like ignore Tom. the truth. Can't you just ignore right. the, the knife that Tom Brady jammed in my back? Can't we just ignore that? And I think that that's probably, in a way, perhaps maybe the way that Bruce Arians feels because, and I don't think that Brady did sink a knife in his back. He just wanted the people at this point in his career when he can ask for it, as I was talking about earlier, since he has become self-actualized and understands the weight that he can throw around because of who he is and what he's done. He said, all right, I'm going to do this. And Tom Brady's more powerful than Bruce Arians. He is as powerful as an owner in some ways or more given where he is at this stage in his career. So when you look at Brady saying that and moving in that direction, Bruce Arians says, well, I I can tell what the landscape is here, but Arians will continue to push back against Brady in kind of passive aggressive ways. For instance, Brady in the retirement stuff, when Arians says, I think he's one of those guys who just wants his name out there. Remember that? or Arians continually lobbying for everyone to get credit and Tom not to get too much credit. I think Arians probably has as much agitation, if not more, at Brady because he probably feels as if, you know, the stories of the red pen going through the game plans that were crafted by Brady and Leftwich that Arians would wield came from a Brady level source so if there's agitation it's probably arians toward brady because he has not in arians mind allowed a graceful exit and we continue you do specifically to interrogate why 
which is fair. It's part of the story. That's last thing. That's what people in New England used to get so pissed off at me about. Why are you negative now? Why the heel turn? Why you want to be, you know, I'm like, this is the most historic NFL run ever. You guys don't want to know how it's coming apart. You guys don't want to know why it's going the way it is. I can't help you. I got to chronicle what's up. So people don't want to hear it sometimes. Some fans want to remain nestled in ignorance. They don't want to hear the why because the why points to things they'd rather not think about. And Buccaneers fans don't want to think about turmoil. They don't want to think about Tom Brady wanting to leave. They don't want to think about anything other than this heroic narrative that was crafted where Bruce Arians walks off into the sunset, head held high, Tom Brady not responsible in any way, shape, or form for that. And they will point loudly to, well, he was at the retirement press conference. Big freaking deal. He showed up. Big deal. That means everything's fine. He showed up. They're friends. And he's happy about this development. And as I've said time and again, plenty of people go to the funerals of folks they hated. Uh, Hell, there'll be no one at mine. Here comes the video. I know it's coming of Sims at my gravesite, but uh, it's just just a matter of time (laughs) if I talk long enough. And the $50,000 watch, who cares? I mean, Tom Brady can crap out a $50,000 watch. Come on. Come on. I mean, let's face it. I'm sorry. But... But I, I'm I'm committed to the truth. There it is. Thank you. I knew I knew it eventually. We don't have audio Thanks today with Aaron Rodgers saying. Uh, uh, anyway, um, I, I I and I don't think that we as media members have any obligation to sign on for the BS just as some sort of a favor or whatever. Come on, come on. Let's be honest with our audience. That's all that I think we have an obligation to do is honest and transparent with our audience. And I think the honest and transparent approach is. Something went on. Someone ordered a code red, and now there's a new head coach in Tampa Bay. Let's take a break. When we return, Peter King has posted a mock draft. We'll dive into it and talk about whatever else may happen to come up when PFT Live continues right after this. What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution.